Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and if you vote for me, we'll turn Mega City 1 into Mega City Fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jason, uh, bringing the sass to this very, very oh, grim yeah. film that we are about to talk about here. Yeah, well, I've already, I've already added more levity to this podcast than that film had it in its entire run time. Yeah, maybe so. Um, so in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we are talking about the films of 2012, and we are here at our future cult classic episode to talk about Dread. The action film based on the Judge Dredd comic book character, who is a very long running character and very popular and well known in the UK in a series called 2000 AD, which is an anthology comic book series that has been going for many decades. Not as much really a well known character here in the US, though, was adapted into a film in 1995, which starred Sylvester Stallone, was called Judge Dredd which is the full name of the character and featured Rob Schneider as his comedy sidekick. Yeah, exactly. That is the, that Mm. is the catchphrase of the character in the comics too. So it wasn't made up for that, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we think of that Stallone film as kind of a a joke and I'm sure that it is. I, I saw it, I think maybe in 1995, but I don't really remember much of anything about it, but it was a much bigger hit than this one. <laughs> um, so that's why this is a cult film and that one is not. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I think I probably saw version like maybe I don't know if I ever saw the full movie from the 90s, but I know, you know, we've all seen clips and I've seen parts of it. And I was like, man, they could have at least used some of that humor in here. This this movie just is uh, drying you right up, Josh. Yeah, I feel like there is actually quite a bit of sort of deadpan humor to this film, but maybe we'll get to that later. No Rob Schneider style humor in this movie, at least. Sadly, sadly. What if uh, they confused him as a would be judge with like, I don't know, a hot chick or something like that? Yeah, you're really improving this movie in so many ways already. So this movie uh, grossed $41.5 million on its budget. And Wikipedia, this is an extremely large range, says 30 to 45 million. So if it was on the lower end, that's not quite as bad. But either way, not considered a success, not what they were hoping for to launch a franchise with this, you know, in the world of so many comic book franchises. By contrast, in 1995, the Stallone film grossed 113.5 million. So, and that wasn't—I don't think that was regarded as a huge hit, even. At the no, time, I mean right? the difference—the difference was that cost like 80 million to make, so um, it was a much higher budget to make it, and you know needed a larger margin to succeed, but still was a much more mainstream yeah. film. I think Stallone's getting a, a full reassessment from the 90s right about now. You know. People love Cliffhanger, and I think a lot of these other movies, he's starting to get his due, whether he deserves it or not. Yeah, I liked Cliffhanger when I saw it in the theater. I don't know if I'd like it now. I I, I would be shocked if his Judge Dredd film got a reassessment, however. Yeah, well, this one got a reassessment, and it should have just been regularly assessed. Ah, well, I assessed it positively uh, every time I saw it. But yeah, it it uh, it did not do that well at the box office. 
And it was released in 3D. It was released under the title Dread 3D. So one of these movies that was actually shot in 3D, even if you watch it in 2D now, you can see a lot of these scenes that clearly were meant to be experienced in 3D. Uh, Directed by Pete Travis and written by Alex Garland. But uh, according to some behind the scenes reports, at least Alex Garland took over a lot of the directing himself. Carl Urban, who starred as Judge Dredd in this film, actually said, what a lot of people don't realize is that Alex Garland actually directed that movie. So, Especially in the post-process, right? They said that Garland basically took over the whole editing reins. Right, right. And, uh, and I feel like, Jason, I know you're not a fan of this film, but you're generally a fan of Alex Garland. I am a fan of Alex Garland. Uh, although men... Not so much there. Yeah. Did you like Men more than Dread, though? I think maybe by a little, maybe by a half mm. star. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not, not a good sign for either of these films. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, this is definitely a cult movie that has been reassessed, but even at, when it came out, it was one of those movies that got kind of mixed reviews, but some of the people who were dialed into it were like really dialed into it. But I mean, a lot of critics were mildly positive on this. So uh, Darren Franich in Entertainment Weekly said, these days, the typical Hollywood action movie is a bloodless PG-13 affair featuring a protagonist on a journey of self-discovery. Then there's Dread, a darkly funny, blood-soaked romp about a guy in a helmet who kills a lot of people. Adapted from the same British comic as Sylvester Stallone's forgettable Judge Dread, this one makes the most of a familiar die-hard-ish premise. Director of photography Anthony Dodd-Mantle creates an evocative, dirty neon future world. Paul Leonard Morgan's thumping techno soundtrack is thrilling, and Carl Urban manages to give a credibly wry performance using little more than his gravelly, imitation Eastwood voice and his chin. I got zero wryness out of Carl Urban. Perhaps if Keith Urban had tried it, it might have been a bit more yes. wry. But I, I mean, dude, I, I know you're saying that you saw that there was humor in here and this bum who you just quoted did. But uh, <laughs> I was glad when I was like doing the research that a lot of the criticisms agreed that like, man, there's just no humor in this thing. And it just kind of stays in first gear the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is similar throughout. I mean, I want to, don't want to say it's like monotonous, which I, I imagine that Jason, you kind of felt and I could see if you don't like what it's doing. And then it just kind of does that for 90 minutes, you would find it that way. I really like yeah. this movie just, you know, in case it's unclear. Oh, um, that's I'm amazing. The cult. Yeah, you're part yeah. of the cucks. I, I am. I'm part of the cult. There, it's a Jason. cuck classic, Josh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, I mean, I do think like, again, it doesn't have Rob Schneider style humor. It doesn't have like big jokes or anything like that. But I did get some wryness from Carl Urban's performance as in case it's not clear, he does stick to the design of the character from the comic, which is that he wears this big ass helmet that covers most of his face and he never takes it off, keeps it on the whole time. So you really only see his mouth uh, in terms of his performance. But I, I definitely think there's a lot of deadpan amusement to be found in this film. It's not maybe a laugh out loud film. Certainly, I don't think it's meant to be, but I, I wouldn't say that I thought it was humorless. I got no deadpan amusement for the yeah. entire performance. That was this. Yeah, it was. It was indeed just like that. So even more positive, um, but I'll get some negativity later. Simon Abrams in The Village Voice said, 
Typically, the creators of comic book adaptations assume that ingratiating themselves to anyone unfamiliar with their characters slash properties demands boilerplate origin stories where protagonists exhaustively declare who they are in no uncertain terms. This is thankfully not true of Dread, whose creators have the confidence to treat their narrative like just another episode of their anti-heroes serialized adventures. Dread's real staying power comes from its creator's abject refusal to spell things out. As bullets rip through flesh and bodies fall through the air accompanied by sparks of light and tinkling glass, director Pete Travis allows us to revel in amoral spectacle. Yes, it's bad for you, but that's what makes Dread the hero the comic book film needs now, most of all. Ah, I see. So the genius of this was that Dread didn't keep announcing that he was Dread and that the audience was smart enough to know that he was dread. What a wonderful review. No, I think, I think he's spot on, is that the idea that, that there's no backstory here about him uh, as a character, and there's not this, I feel like so many of these comic book adaptations, and you know, we talked about the Avengers earlier in this season, everything has to be like the full, all-encompassing, world-saving adventures of these characters, and one thing that doesn't happen in comic books is that every adventure is like that. There's a lot of just like, here's when we fought some bad guys or whatever. Right. And I really like that about this movie. I feel like it's probably at least in part a function of the smaller budget that they can't do something bigger. So it's like, hey, what if we just have him in one building fighting some criminals? But I feel like it really works very well. And you get everything that you need to get out of it without it being full of uh, grand exposition. Well, I don't think you needed the grand exposition. I just don't look at that as like a wow, way to go, guys! Way to way to make a movie that didn't uh, involve a huge block of uh, backstory. You know, like of course it's a hero. He goes on a journey. We're smart enough to know what it is. What, what else do we need, man? No, I agree. But I think so many movies uh, don't don't see it that way, and that's why this is refreshing. So Alex Garland said of that. What Wagner does in the comic is have dread evolve in the way that a glacier moves. You look a year later and something actually has shifted. I tried to be true to that. I agree. You did. Yes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we should credit. Yes. John Wagner, the writer and Carlos Esquera, the uh, or Esquera. I don't know how to pronounce that. The artist who created Judge Dredd initially. And John Wagner wrote many, many, many of his adventures. All right. Yeah. Where he didn't announce who he was because right. he doesn't need to because we're all smart enough to understand how a fucking movie works, Josh. All right. <laughs> so here's some negativity for you. Keith Phipps in the AV Club said, Alex Garland's script lays out the Judge Dread world early, then more or less forgets about it, turning Carl Urban and Olivia Thurlby into just another pair of cops, albeit cops in possession of some futuristic guns. Locked in a scowl and doing his best Clint Eastwood, Urban is a fine dread, though a flavorless one. And Thurlby invests her character with enough vulnerability and determination to avoid getting lost in the noise. Lena Headey's eerily soft-spoken villain gets some good moments, but the film is mostly a bunch of flatly staged bits of action shot against anonymous backgrounds. It's 98 minutes of no fun and much gunfire, though it's true in some respects to the dread of the comics, the spirit of the original remains stubbornly on the page. Admittedly, did not read the comic books, Josh. So that's fine. I know I haven't either. Um, but I don't think um, I agree with those notes on the performances. Like, look, I am totally cool with like majorly single setting, especially a big setting like this 
peach tree block towers where you can really move in and out of rooms and bring in different characters. I don't necessarily think that the environment was used as well as it could have been, but I was, I love both those actresses and I just felt like the whole thing was flat. Yeah. I, I thought their performances were really good. And because Carl, I mean, whether you get that little bit of wryness from Carl Urban or not, it definitely is a very down the line kind of one note performance by design. And so I think you need those other characters to have more range. And I thought, you know, Olivia Thurlby, who plays like the rookie partner to Judge Dredd, and she's got these psychic powers. So conveniently, she can't wear the helmet that covers her face for the entire movie. So she gets to be a little more expressive. I, I like that. They do give her a bit more backstory and a bit more character development, but, you know, not too much enough that you kind of hold on to her. And same with with Mama, the villain who is, you know, sort of sympathetic in a way in this really incredibly harsh world where she was obviously abused herself before she took power. I think those are both good actors and I think they give good performances. I mean, I know they're good actors. I, yeah. you know, I think we might've talked about Thoroughly when we did um, Juno. Juno, yeah. But I mean, dude, go back to the whackness, right? Like she owns that movie. I mean, she's so great in that movie. So yeah, I mean, I'm not saying this is the best performance she's ever given or that she owns the movie or is even meant to, you know, she's a supporting character, but I, I liked everything about she, I just, she did in this. I film. thought, I thought it was very bland, you know, her performance and, uh, I, you know, and some of that goes to the director. Cause I think all the performances were very bland. Like I like all these actors, uh, including Domhnall Gleeson. And I thought like, I couldn't stand him in this movie. I mean, he's meant to be this kind of pathetic character. He's the, the like tech guy that mama tortures and gets to operate everything. And- yeah. But so, okay. Perfect example. You mentioned Lena Headey, right? You know, um, she played one of the all time great uh, villains in television history. Right. And obviously, you know, hey, adapted material, sure, different tones, whatever you want to call it. But there she really got to sink her teeth into it. And I felt like here it was just like on autopilot the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I it's definitely not the same kind of performance as Cersei in Game of Thrones, which is, I assume, what you are referring to. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if I wasn't? Though? Yeah, I mean, she's done other stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, but but I don't think it's that she's on autopilot or anything. I think she's giving a different kind of performance. She's this isn't a character who's like a literal literal royalty or whatever. She's a hardened. A woman who's had a very tough, again, life of being abused and and her demeanor is different and she's a good actor and she creates a different kind of character. But I don't think she wasn't putting her full effort into it. And that's, I wasn't knocking the effort. If I said yeah. that wrong, then um, then that's on me. But not, what I meant is I just thought it was a very kind of paper thin, watery, just and, you know, again, like I said, this could be part of the direction of the whole thing. There was just. It was just a one note, very bland bad guy. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I assume, Jason, you had not seen this before. No, Josh. Uh, After I did, though, I did some research and I learned that this movie let other movies come into their house, fuck its wife and watched. It's a cuck classic, Josh. I don't know where you're going with that (laughs) idea, but... um... This was the third time I'd seen this movie, the third time in the last two years, weirdly. So I never saw it when it came out or even as it built a cult following. I'd heard about it. And a couple of years ago, I watched it just because I, I do a lot of these, uh, you know, the best this kind of genre movies on various streaming services. And I always need new things to add to those lists. So I watched it for that and I liked it. And then I ended up pitching a whole spotlight article on it a little while later. So I watched it again for that and watched it again for this 
podcast and I enjoyed it every time. I think this is a, a if I was listing like the 10 best comic book movies, I might put this on. Oh, you're in the tank for dread. That's for sure. It's a good movie. <laughs> uh, Dave, I know you got a chance to actually watch this in 3D, right? Absolutely. Shout out to our friend Tony Strauss from Wings Chop Magazine. Right. Uh, when I knew that we were going to be covering this, I, I wrote him and I was like, hey, you have like a whole 3D setup, don't you? I want to experience this movie the way it's meant to be experienced. And he was like, you have to experience this movie the way it's meant to be experienced. So I went over to his house, we had some popcorn and we watched this in full 3D and it really did enhance the experience. I mean, you can tell when a movie is shot for 3D versus, you know, all these post conversions. It, it looked amazing. Yeah, I did not obviously get to see it that way. And so you had not seen it before, though, right, Dave? I hadn't. No, I had always heard about it, how like over the top crazy it's supposed to be. But I just never got around to it. It's not that over the top crazy. I mean, it is very violent. It I is. mean, you know, as someone who loves over the top crazy violent movies and Dave, you're one of those people, you know, mm -hmm. like what in here was more, you know, crazy than anything in the preview from like nobody or something like that. I mean, this is Dave. Do you want to take that? <laughs> I, I mean, I think this is more violent than nobody. I mean, I, I would say I like nobody more as an overall movie and overall story, but I think this is more violent than nobody. I don't know. I just. I like I like maybe the first shootout and then I felt like it just got repetitive like there was a lack of creativity in utilizing the space. Yeah, I'm sort of surprised because I know you like a lot of these kind of like no nonsense action B movie type things Jason and so I thought this was a movie that you would be likely to enjoy but uh yeah, same here. I thought so too, but I didn't know that it was letting other movies fuck its wife, Josh. All right, just going to keep going with that, are you? Nah, I think hey. we, we had to give it one callback and now we can move on. So, All right. So uh, do you want to mention anything else about the background of this film? Did I tell you what it lets its friends okay. do to it? All right. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Josh. Uh, one thing I felt was interesting was there are only six stars on the American flag because at this point in time, they've all turned into mega state monolithic corporate run entities so we have that to look forward to yeah yeah i can't wait to live in mega city one that'll be super fun <laughs> there you oh, go of course. this was all shot in south africa not of course not in the u.s now, they use speaking of that josh i know you like this movie but is it your favorite british american south african indian co-production Probably it is. I'd have to look at a list, of, which I'm sure is very long of all movies that fit that exact designation. All right, we'll come back in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on Dread. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012, we are talking about our future cult classic pick, Dread, which Jason just not, did not like not at all. Not part of the cult, disappointed, was excited to watch it. Love me some Alex Garland, you know, mention mm -hmm. those two actresses, Carl or Urban, eh, whatever, you know, but uh, yeah, I was like excited about like maybe the first uh, big action piece. I liked when the door crushed the homeless guy and then it just got more boring uh, with each successive minute. I was not into the performances. I don't think there was an escalation in plot in action in anything. It just never got out of that gear for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you in the sense that it it kind of 
locks itself into a certain mode, especially once the the lockdown, the literal lockdown occurs in this building and everyone's trapped inside. But I mean, I enjoyed that mode. I did feel like there's a sort of a progression. I mean, there's a literal physical progression. You know, the idea that this 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 ginormous building with 200 floors and they keep kind of getting closer and closer to the top floor, which is where Mama, the villain played by Lena Headey, is like sort of holed up. And, you know, to me, that was that was enough. There's clear stakes here. She's got she's going to marshal the entire population of this building to kill them because she doesn't want information about her narcotics operation getting out and they have to survive and defeat her, apprehend her, kill her mainly. And I mean, I, I felt like I didn't really need anything more than that. Yeah. What was that movie with Daniel Radcliffe where he basically became a human video game? Oh, Guns Akimbo? I haven't seen that. Yeah, I guess it kind of felt like that to me, where it's like, it just, here's the thing, and now we're doing the thing for the whole movie, and, you know, I I wanted a little more. I know you're talking about a physical escalation, but I don't even think that was clear, like, until the end. Like, it was like, okay, we're just on another random floor. Could it have been floor 199 out of 200? Could it have been floor 30 out of 200? That never really was clear to me. But listen, man. You know, I'm not here to rain on your parade. Give it to me, baby. What What did I miss? All right. Well, you're happy to rain. I'm, you can rain on my parade all you want. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Um, you know, I mean, it's weird because it's like, I don't know that you necessarily missed anything because I feel like we just had a completely different perspective on all the aspects of this film and that things that I thought were good, it, you know, you clearly did not. I can say I thought the performances were, were good and you obviously don't agree about that. I liked the sort of bare bones nature of the story. I did feel like there was a lot of dry, deadpan humor to it and that Carl Urban in his sort of big, you know, Clint Eastwood-esque taciturn way is is giving you some humor to this character. I thought that Olivia Thurlby gave a really good performance and and gave an emotional core to the film. I thought the action was excellent. You know, whoever is responsible for it, I really liked all the shootouts and all of the fight scenes. I thought this was a, you know, there's so many action movies where you can't ever tell what's going on and who's fighting who. And this was not one of those movies at all. You know, it reminded me a lot of like the John Wick movies where uh, the stunt work is really effective. Um, I thought the world building was good in that you got a sense of where we are and what things are like now without having to just get bogged down in bits of mythology and stuff that so many of these comic book films have. I like the look of it. You know, I, I think it's like, to me, it, it, it like when I wrote a, a full article about it last year, the, the idea was that like, this is how you should make a comic book movie. All right. Well, what's your favorite comic book movie? Um, I mean, it's probably Batman, the Tim Burton movie that we talked yeah. about in our 1989 season. And I think mine is Logan. So, All right. you know, not not again, you can't say that one uh, that I that I'm like sticking out for humor here because Logan is very dark and depressing yeah. and all that stuff. So but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, some of the action things I just obviously disagree with you about. I, I don't I don't what you know, I think uh, people who know me would say that uh, I don't really like miss the idea of humor like if humor's there i'm usually good at getting it right so right for me to miss an entire circle of humor that that sounds uh that sounds strange to me and I'll, the thoroughly thing like that kind of felt very derivative to me you know it was like hey can we set up an x-man in one scene you know and that that's what it was and then the the whole usage of her powers were 
eh, at best, you know, like uh, it just it just didn't uh, connect with me. Yeah, um, I mean, I I'm pretty sure that 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 character and her powers and everything come from the comic. So which has been around, if not, if not, quite I, as long I'm as not saying that they shouldn't have had the lady with the powers. I'm saying yeah. like, hey, here's the scene. It's one, uh, you know, one superior telling Judge Dredd, like, you're going to take out a rookie, right? We've seen this a billion times. Sure. That's fine. And they're like, and like why should I? They're like, well, she's special. Oh, uh, OK. How is she special? She know, you know, and then we see that she has psychic powers that she uses very sporadically and not always uh, uh, like had she put put a little more into those powers. Maybe they could have been more effective in this uh, film. But uh, it just it just felt like it was uh, glossed over to me. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is that like, yes, of course, the powers have to serve the plot and they can't just have her come in and solve everything immediately with her powers and then there's no movie. But I mean, I think there's a justification there, just like the thing with the helmet where you're like, okay, this is an obvious movie thing because you need to see her face. But they made it, they gave it enough of an explanation that I bought into it. And I felt like this was the same. It's like, she's a rookie. She's obviously very nervous and uncertain about what she's doing. And that would go to her powers as well. Like she's not maybe used to using them in this kind of a context and doesn't always realize in what way they could be useful. And as the movie goes on, you know, especially she has that confrontation with, with Wood Harris's character, Mama's sort of like Lieutenant that they capture at the beginning and cart around with them for the rest of the movie where she is like, Hey, you know, now I'm confident and I'm here in this like psychic realm and I'm, you, you know, you think you got me, you don't. So Josh, do you, cause I hear what you're saying, but do you think they effectively set up like, obviously, they effectively set up that she has powers and that she's a rookie. And this is like, you know, her assessment day or whatever. Right. Her right. training. Training. Day, yeah, right. Exactly. You know, yes. but do you think that they effectively set up her character aspect of like, oh, I have these powers, but I'm so nervous for this, uh, you know, job that I'm on. I don't think they're working as well as they could. Like, I don't think any of that was in there. I mean, I think the idea that she was nervous and doesn't always know what she's doing was definitely in there. Um, I mean, and her powers come from like a traumatic background. She carries that warm picture of her family around with her the whole time. I, you know, again, I feel like there was enough where I didn't need her to stand there and tell it all to me that I understood it. I'm not saying you need all like it, but, you know, I think, you know, you're you're building a backbone onto something bigger and better and you want to pay offs on these things. You know, and I kind of feel the same way on the Mama character. Like, I, as I said, Lena Headley, amazing actress, but I didn't find anything menacing to her at all. You know, so I wanted, I wanted someone I could one feel was like a worthy adversary to Judge Dredd, and two, like that I could despise. And you know, action wise, sure, you could be like she does terrible things, but she's just so down here all the time that it's like I, I just never got any type of, you know, menace towards her at all. Yeah, I mean, I felt like she was menacing, but also I didn't want to despise her. I mean, I thought one of the good things about this is that, you know, they they give you her sympathetic background that, you know, and she's got those scars that are this constant reminder of she was abused. And the only way she could kind of get out of that was to seize power for herself. And also the fact is, and maybe this is a criticism that one thing maybe that doesn't come across entirely in this film and because the humor is so uh, understated or non-existent, depending on your perspective, is that the Judge Dredd world is a satire. And Judge Dredd himself is not necessarily meant to be a hero. You know, he's a tool of a fascist government. And so I feel like 
the idea that the villain is just also sort of, you know, they're reflections of each other in a way is, is I think, good that, you know, maybe Judge Dredd himself is not like a horrible person, although you could argue that he is. But, you know, the system that he works for is incredibly oppressive. So, like, you're making all these good points that sound like they should be interesting in this movie, right? Like, <laughs> okay, cool. So this, you know, it's always more interesting when a villain has, like, uh, you know, obviously a villain has to believe their own story. They're the hero in their own story, right? So and yeah. they're doing things for a good reason. But I didn't get, I, you know, even with the background information, there was nothing that made me, like, kind of root for her or her cause, like, as you might with other villains. and then. I wish they would have hammered that a little more with this idea of like, is Judge Dredd good, bad, otherwise? Like, I think that's interesting to shade it, but there was no shade. It was just like, he's doing this thing. We're doing this thing. That's the thing. Thing over. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you in that they could have done more with that. That, you know, this is obviously something that comes from the comics that's not fully realized here. And maybe if they had made a sequel, they could have delved into it more. But I'm I'm with you on that. I will say I didn't want to root for Mama. I just kind of wanted to empathize with her as a person. And I felt like there was enough for me to get that out of it. Well, everybody knows, Josh, empathy is one of your finest qualities <laughs> as a human being. You it's know? really not. It's <laughs> like, I could do that with this movie. <laughs> you can't empathize with humans in real life situations, but fake villains in movies that didn't make a lot of money. That's your wheelhouse right there. You watch totally. him three times. You write articles about him. Probably underpaid for the work that you did, Josh. Well, that and... really applies to any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we're just coming from it from different angles. So, Dave, you uh, you probably liked it more than, uh, I mean, maybe both, both of us, I'd say. I'm probably on the same level as Josh here. But um, I, uh, I, I really admire, though, that this kind of... More so than even a comic book movie, even though we know it is based on a comic book, it feels like a video game movie more than anything. And I mean, you already brought up that Guns Akimbo comparison, but I mean, th this is like every video game character and down to the fact that he never takes off his helmet. I mean, he's barely a real person. And to me, that was funny. That was part of the just kind of audacity of the whole thing. So it's funny that he wears a helmet and never takes a helmet off, even though that's his uniform. And all the yeah. other judges also wear helmets and never take them off. I mean, he's a human being and he's a, a movie star. Like he could have taken Carl his helmet off. Well, he's starring in a yeah. movie that came you out. You know, in, in the Stallone version, he's he probably was like, I'll wear the helmet in two or three seats, you know. And that's right, right. Because he's got that vanity. Carl Urban is so I mean, maybe we'll talk oh, about this yeah. the legacy, but yeah, Carl totally. Urban is so dedicated yeah, to this he, character. It's like De Niro in uh Raging Bull, really. So <laughs> yeah. So I mean, Dave, do you want to talk a little about the 3D and how that looked while you were watching it? Yeah, sure, because that definitely enhanced this whole thing. And uh, like like you were saying, the action sequences are are really uh, they're really staged well. And when you have all those bits of glass and just fire and, and little shatters and all this stuff flying all over the place, I mean, it was really well put together and uh, just made the whole thing just seem crazier. Where you know, I, I understand what Jason's saying that like it never quite like ratchets up in, in the action. It's just kind of staying at the same level. But when you're seeing all that shit flying all over the place, like it really, it really helps to make that happen. 
Yeah, I think it would be cool to see it that way. And it's, you know, it's not as common anymore for movies to actually be shot natively in 3D. And so this is clearly something where that's part of the artistic vision for it. Well, I will give it another chance if we can all watch it in 3D together. All right. Yes. <laughs> you know, based on your perspective, Jason, I, I wouldn't expect your your opinion on this to change. And that's cool. So. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I was literally thinking about this in the car today because of all the reassessments like uh, of films. Like, I don't think I've reassessed or I mean, I've uh, reassessed a lot of movies, but I don't think my assessment of those movies upon the reassess has changed that much. Usually if I see a movie, uh, my first instinct is usually how I feel about it all the way through. Yeah, I mean, I kind of am the same, although I feel like it it, it depends, too, on the gap. You know, it, there's movies I'm sure that I loved when I was like 10 years old that I could come to now. Right. Like, what was I thinking? Right. I meant the other way around, really. So, you know, like movies the, that you didn't care for and then you you turned around and decided. Yeah. Have them. you can yeah. you think of one that really did it for you? I mean, I don't know. The, I, like, I'm sure I could think of more if I you know took some time. The one that comes to mind offhand is another kind of cult movie that I think kind of like your situation with this, where I heard, you know, had this idea that it was this cult thing and I wanted to see it. It seemed like it would be for me. And the first time I watched it, I thought, eh, I just, I don't get it. And that's Josie and the Pussycats, which I love now. And I've mm. seen multiple times. Of course you do, Josh. <laughs> but I didn't when I first watched it. Sure you didn't, Josh. <laughs> so have you seen that, Jason? Are you just going to trash it? I mean, I'm happy to see it. What, what yeah. year? What year is that our awesome movie year? Josh, oh, I don't know. It's sometime in the 2000s as well, I think. Cool. Um, 2001. So, there you go. We'll get to it. Mm -hmm. But um, I did want to say, Jason, you know, one of the things that I felt like maybe didn't really work in this film to to give it some criticism here was the the big drug that everyone takes, the slow-mo. And it gives you a lot of cool effects that work well in the 3D, the idea that it slows down your perception of time. But and someone, I think, on Letterboxd pointed this out, and it made sense to me, too, is like, the whole point of this world is that everyone lives in this horrific squalor. So they take right, this yeah. drug that lets them experience it in a slower, in so much more yeah. detail. Right. Yeah. That's a fair, that's a fair point. So, yeah, I just felt, I mean, look, I, it's an hour and 35 minutes, which I like, you know, but I, and I get the idea of like, Hey, we're going to just set this thing up as like, this is who he is. And once you kind of know this, we can go deeper into the backstory, but like, as someone who likes uh, nice, tight movies, I was like, I, I think we needed a little more here on everything. Yeah. No. All right. Well, you're not the only one who felt that way. So I feel like we can wrap this up, Jason, if you want to rate All it. Right. Out of, uh, five, five helmets. Uh, five. <laughs> that was exactly what I was going to say. Five helmets. <laughs> I gave it two helmets. I know you guys think that's low on the helmet count, but two helmets. All right. I give it three and a half helmets. I think this is a super fun movie. If you like action movies and comic book movies and stuff, um, you know, give it a shot. Dave, how would you rate this? I'd actually also be at three and a half, but I bumped it to four because of that 3D effect. So oh four God. for me. You want All this right. movie to sleep with your wife, Dave. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. See, you, with you the helmet you'd on. Stop, and then you didn't. Jeremy. That's a misdirect, Josh. You've really violated us here on Awesome Movie Year. So. <laughs> Maybe you can get a judge to... Yeah, you know, do it. Have have his way with me. So. Your sentence is death. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just for making a joke. I mean, that was apparently the sentence for virtually everything. <laughs> that so, did seem yes. like it was off. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of dread. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2012. 
We are talking about our cult classic pick, Dread, which, despite Jason not being part of the cult, does have this very large following, which, you know, as always with these episodes, that's kind of the main legacy here, that it, uh, you know, got a sort of muted response at first, but the people who liked it really liked it. And I think in part because it's based on a comic book character, on a character that itself has this cult following. I mean, again, here in the U.S. where it's not a huge cultural phenomenon, it's sort of a more of a cult thing. But in the U.K., it's a bigger deal. But I mean, pretty much right from when this movie came out and failed at the box office, there was this groundswell of like, well, we got to get it to sequel going anyway. And, you know, producers involved in this and Carl Urban himself, as we've said, is a huge proponent of this character. They've always like every so often there's reports of, oh, they're going to make a dread sequel or a dread TV series that I think was at one point announced back in like 2017. And there was a little animated web series sequel in 2014 that I didn't get a chance to watch. But it's certainly I wouldn't surprise me if next week suddenly it was announced that like, you know, Netflix is making the sequel to dread. I mean, I think to be honest with you, I think a TV show would make much more sense at this point than a sequel. I'd be open to that. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly like decades worth of stories about Judge Dredd that you could incorporate. I mean, this was a TV show, if we're going to be honest, right? Like this was this was basically an episode of a crime procedural, you know, so catch the bad guy, shoot him up, bang, bangs, uh, end of the day, learn something about the partner, move on to the next one. Yeah, I mean, and that was what I liked about it. And I feel like it's satisfying on its own that way. It doesn't feel like, oh, this is incomplete. Yeah, I'm okay with those as a movie. I just didn't uh, rock my world, bro. Yeah, no, I know. And also, you don't care for Carl Urban, who is really like you're joking about him being a movie star, but he in the in this sort of like comic book geek genre space, he is a huge oh, yeah. star. But, yeah, yeah, I agree. Lord of the Rings, The Boys, Star Trek. He's a he's a big timer. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, like Stallone. It'd be like saying, oh, like he's the new Terminator, right? He's always going to go up against like one of the biggest uh, action stars of all time, right? So, you know. Well, I'm yeah, but the like, Terminator is like one of Schwarzenegger's like defining characters. And that's not the case for Stallone and Judge Dredd. Well, not in your estimation. Yeah, you probably didn't person. like Oscar either. <laughs> I haven't seen Oscar, but I like Stallone, though. I don't mean, you know, he's done a lot of shit, but there's like when he's good, he's good. He's just. He's got a very narrow range, Stallone. My favorite Stallone thing is when Robert De Niro says in Copland, Officer, I gave you a chance to be a cop and you blew it. This, this bit is like 25 <laughs> years old, at least, of Jason doing that. <laughs> I watched that. Uh, like brought me back to high school hearing you say that. That's good, John. Thought I could make you feel young again. Yes, thank you. That's all that that all that is, I've got to hang on to. It. I did see uh, Stallone uh, host an episode of the Muppet Show recently, and uh, that has nothing to do with this movie. So let's get back to uh, Dread. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, as you said, we talked about Olivia Thirlby when we did our episode on Juno, which she's great in. Yes. You mentioned the, the whackness. Yes. As someone who just said that I was not a fan of her in this, like, go watch those two movies and see what she's really capable of. I mean, I agree. But definitely watch those movies. And she's really good in those. And I feel like she's an actor who at that maybe around that time was seemingly poised to be a breakout and never really got yeah. to that level. What happened, um, bro? She did dread. That's what happened. <laughs> dread ruined her career. <laughs> I feel like this is one of her better 
roles. But no, I mean, she worked steadily. She was on, speaking of comic books, she was on Why the Last Man, which was a Hulu series that was a comic book adaptation. And she's going to be in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, although so is like everyone. She probably has one line, but she's going to be in it. So All right. she works. This is my impression of us, Josh. Uh, in, in every third uh, segment of our show. Oh, so-and-so's in Asteroid City. So-and-so's in Oppenheimer. So-and-so's in the new Coppola movie. Everyone in Hollywood is in one of those three movies, according to us. <laughs> well, I mean, not just according to us. Like, it's true. We're not making it up. No, you broke the news, Josh. Take the credit. Yeah, thank you, so. Wikipedia. No, hey, but you Elizabeth, know. you know, because, like, she was coming up at that time, right, where it was, like, we saw her in Juno, the Wackness, right? Like, you, not that different from, like, an Anna Kendrick, uh, you know, or someone like that, right? You, she, She's so good in certain things. Like, you feel like, oh, man, she's definitely going to break on that level. And, you know, that's just kind of the surprise of the whole thing, I guess. Right. So. No, I totally agree. And I kept waiting. I feel like, to me, it reminds me of, like, Michelle Monaghan, who is another actor who is not hurting for work. But when I saw her in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I was like, oh, this is she's going to be this massive yeah. star. And she's not. And that's fine. She does what she does. And I think Olivia Thurlby is in that same space where she's not. Dis she hasn't disappeared, but she's never lived up maybe. to. And, and we're, yeah, we're not knocking that at all. I mean, it could just be that she d didn't want to pursue the movie star route and just wants to be a working actor and have a more grounded lifestyle. We don't know. But uh, she's right. definitely got the talent. Um, and Lena Headey, of course, has the talent and the awards to go with that talent. Yeah, I mean, she's another one who, I mean, maybe bigger than Carl Urban, is a huge star within that genre space because of Game of Thrones. I mean, she also, uh, you know, speaking of the Terminator, before this was the star of the Terminator TV series, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, she does a ton of voice acting and genre type stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, she's she's great. I, I gave up on Game of Thrones, but I know you watched it till the end. I did. But, you know, we are, I am in the majority of that last season was real let down. But we got her in the new Nick Frost movie, Svalta. Have you heard about that one, Josh? No. Is that Nick Frost directing that? Movie? I think he wrote it. Um, it's directed by Stefan Harz and Flip van der Kuhl. I don't know who they are, but uh, sure, why not? Lena Headey, Nick Frost, a family's vacation to a remote getaway takes an unexpected turn. And they discover the island they're on is inhabited by a serial killer. So cool. Interesting. I yeah. see that. Yeah, Why there not? we go. Little like our uh, friend Brandon Cronenberg's last movie in a way. But, uh, you know, another person whose work you didn't care for here, Domhnall Gleeson, who is he doesn't have a big part in this. I feel like he's really become a bigger star since this. I mean, he worked with Alex Garland again in a major role in Ex Machina. Uh, he was in Star Wars movies and just was uh, co-starred with Steve Carell in that series, The Patient, which I finally finished watching recently. Oh, yeah. That's a depressing one. It is. It is. But but a, a good like he's he's plays a serial killer. There's a lot of layers to that character. It's an interesting series to watch. Hey, Josh, uh, of course, he's uh, got a lot of work from the Peter Rabbit franchise. Um, <laughs> oh, sure. That's important. Josh, uh, The Patient, a very dark uh, very hard to get through that one, yes. but uh, uh, not saying it's a bad show, but uh, if you want a lighter show with Domhnall Gleeson, uh, I recommend Frank from Ireland, a show I watched during the pandemic, six episodes he co-created. I think he wrote it and uh, plays like the quirky best friend of like this man child, Frank, who uh, just can't get his life together. And it was a really fun show. So speaking of that, Josh, I I'll also recommend another Irish show to you. 
This one, uh, a murder mystery, a much darker one that Pete Travis directed called Bloodline with James Nesbitt, Ireland's favorite son. And uh, that was really good, that first uh, season of uh, Bloodline. Hmm, yeah, I'm not familiar with that. And I know Pete Travis, you know, to, to whatever degree he had troubles on this film and the movie was not a hit. He's mostly stuck with directing TV. He's only directed one other feature film that I was not familiar with called City of Tiny Lights from 2016. I assume you don't know that one either. Nah, I yeah, I didn't know it existed. The lights were too small oh. for me to recognize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not my best work. Yes, there. yes. you tried. Uh, <laughs> hey, Josh. Yes. What else did you? I mean, he's a working director in a lot of the TV. Right. Stuff, yeah. No. So. Again, he's clearly been successful in TV, and maybe this was a, an effort to jump into these bigger blockbuster feature films, and it didn't work out for him. But you know, he's got plenty of TV work going. Speaking of people who have plenty of work going, Wood Harris, our man Avon Barksdale, Avon coming. That's not the quote no, at all no, from The not. Wire. It's Omar coming. So I just ruined that. Wood Harris, Josh, just uh, appeared in Creed 3, right? Yeah, and yeah. He, uh, he basically takes over, to speak of Stallone again, he kind of takes over the position of Rocky, uh, you know, as the, the main trainer in Creed 3. Does he talk like this? No, he plays a character <laughs> oh, who was in the previous bad. movies. But it'd be funny if suddenly he was just cast as Rocky. <laughs> yeah, well... He's also going to be in the LeBron James uh, movie, Shooting Stars, which I think is about LeBron's high school team. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, he's good. And, you know, he's 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 everywhere. Got to talk about Alex. Alex yeah, yeah, exactly. Alex Garland, who we we've talked about a thousand times on every podcast we've ever done. I guess we have. But, you know, he is great. <laughs> First episode of Piecing It Together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Annihilation. Annihilation. Is that the first ever episode of Piecing It Together? Yes, sir. Wow. So that's a legacy for for this film right there. There you go. <laughs> um, devs, I think we both did, did you like Devs, Jason, the the FX series? I did. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been thinking about that show a lot lately. Yeah. So that's an interesting show. So Yeah. I'm with you though on Men, his most recent film being not that great. So I hope he comes well, up with something good. Uh, rumors of 28 months later, which he might write, right? Yeah. Cuz he wrote the 28 days later uh, films which are fucking great. Yeah. You know, but here's my thing with Alex Garland, like Ex Machina, we all love. Right. So uh, Annihilation, I think at least me liked. uh, I think we all liked, but maybe didn't. I liked it more than you did, probably. But yeah, I definitely liked it a lot. All right. And men, uh, no, didn't work for me. Right. So, um, you know, devs, I liked a lot, but uh, but I want I want him to hit another home run because he was just crushing with the 28 days later franchise and next pocket right yeah i mean and he's done a lot of work those 28 days months weeks whatever movies are directed by danny boyle and he's done a lot of work as a writer with other directors and so maybe that's kind of what he needs to be moving toward a bit more i don't know but i i feel like he always has really interesting ideas and the execution maybe is uh not as consistent but i'm always curious to see what he's doing by the way, um, he wrote a video game, Enslaved Odyssey to the West, which is actually a really cool game. And with this weekend Super Mario Brothers uh, success, maybe that's going to get adapted one of these days. Yeah, uh, probably. It would. It could use a tighter title. Yeah, so. it is a big title. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like we should also just mention that despite the uh, sort of dubious quality and or success of the Judge Dredd films thus far. Judge Dredd, the character, is still very popular, still being consistently published in comic books in the UK. And I think that sustained popularity is 
one thing that could allow for a sequel or a new version of this to come to film or TV at some point? Oh, there will definitely be a new version of this at some point. Yes. And, and uh, you won't like it. And it's going to be a live action one with um, the Lion King and uh, the Jungle Book. Judge Dredd. I don't know where that came from, but if it involves Judge Dredd murdering Simba and Baloo, I oh, probably see? will watch it. This guy's full of empathy, like I told you. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about the legacy of this film? Nope. I uh, look forward to everyone telling me that I'm the one who got fucked by this movie, Josh. I look forward to that. The too. real fucking were the friends we made along the way. Mm-hmm. All right, that is Dread, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can shoot us in the head online and on social media. Uh, don't do yeah, that, but you nice can at least message yeah. us. You can message Give us. Give us a psychic message okay. or something. That's better. Yeah, I mean, respectfully tell me that uh, I'm wrong or right, whatever. But, you know, we're at AwesomeMovieYear.com, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, and the Gram, Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. And I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy and all those things. My old website, go for Jason. If it's in the Peachtree Tower, someone please return it to me. Uh, but in the meantime, go to Eat This Comedy, uh, also on Instagram, and also as a website. And I might go for Jason on Letterboxd. And now I'm done with the social medias. What's the point of this all, Josh? Well, I mean, hopefully people will uh, reach out and get in touch with us because they love our podcast, right? Somebody out there must. That's the plan. <laughs> let, one person. Let us know. One person. We just You're the one. <laughs> We need check you. Check out joshbellhateseverything.com. Validate Actually, us. don't really. There's not much there. But you can check out Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook, at Signal Bleed on Twitter, and Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget, if you listen to Piecing It Together, Dave will use Alex Garland or Charlie Kaufman in every episode as a piece. It's a good chance, yeah. Yeah, they're solid choices. <laughs> Jason, what are we talking about in our next episode? Josh, we put it up to the audience, and once again, they have let me down. Uh, it was all about the Duplass brothers. We gave them three choices, two of which we both really liked. So what do they do? They ram jammed us with the third one. <laughs> safety, not guaranteed. Well, hopefully we'll have something more constructive on safety, not guaranteed. Tune in next time for that. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.